This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey, just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. And Chase is actually on vacation this week, so he'll be returning next week. But we're still here to take uh, your calls, talk about uh, finance, investing, the economy, all these important things to make you a smarter investor. Speaking of the economy, we do have a special guest coming on uh, later in the second half of the show about 9.02 this morning, Kelly Cunningham. If you recognize the name, he is an economist here in San Diego. He's been on local TV. He's been on uh, or in the San Diego Union so forth. So we got him talking today about what his feeling is on inflation, some other things in uh, California <clears throat> to uh, understand what's going on in the economy for California. And also, too, as always, at uh, 8.40, we'll have our CFP from Wilsey Asset Management, Harrison Johnson, He'll be talking about how, and this is very important, how Social Security benefits are calculated. Uh, I'm sure you've often wondered that. I think it's easy. I bet you it's not that easy. And then also throughout the show, we take your phone calls. And I just realized I don't have the phone number. Hold on with me. <laughs> I pull out the phone number. Um, you know, I thought I had everything together. Here's the phone number. So the phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three, and as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, firm opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, we had a lot of action last week in the economy. Big news was the jobs report that came out yesterday, and I was not really surprised by this. We had been talking uh, at our firm here on radio and our social media, talking about how we expected a good number. Because there's about 20, was it 24, 26 different states that actually have stopped paying out the extra uh, employment numbers uh, from uh, the federal, uh, from the federal government saying, no, we're not going to do that any longer. So they stopped that. So that kind of forces people to go back to work. And yes, the numbers came in very strong, showing an increase of 943,000 jobs in July. And that was above the 900,000 expectation. Uh, and also, too, last uh, month in June, uh, the number was 850,000. Now, uh, no surprise that most of the jobs came from leisure and hospitality sectors. Uh, gains were also seen in local government jobs along with education. And also, to me, no surprise here, professional and business services. Those are starting to pick up as well as the economy continues to pick up. Uh, and also, too, because of the shortage of workers, we're seeing the average hourly earnings move up. Now they're up 11 cents to $30.54 uh, an hour is where they stand. And again, here at uh, Will Asset Management, uh, my investment firm, we're happy to see what we call the replacement of the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. I know some say it's job growth. Well, I think it's replacement because these jobs were here about a year ago. Now, normally when you go through a recession uh, or a pull down, it, it takes years to come around. That is job growth. But again, with what we went through in the pandemic, and, and, and again, I know we always pick on the government and not just us, but everybody, but I will say that the government did do a great job 
of putting money into the economy, getting the economy back on track quickly, as opposed to waiting like they did back in 1929. 1929, it, it took years to come back, and recessions used to take longer. The uh, government now realized that if we can put money back into the economy quicker, it will, will, will reduce the amount of time that we're in a recession uh, and get people back to work quicker and get the economy up and going. The big question is, when do you stop? Uh, that's a big argument now. We, we appear to have enough here that we can get people back to work. Question is, it's not a political show, but should you stop putting more money in the economy now from the government? My opinion is, yes, we should. Let's the economy have it work on its own. I, m- I remember this back in 2008. That was the big question was they did put money back in the economy. And then, like, when do we stop? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not hearing that now, but I think that will come up more as time goes on. Also, too, uh, we had uh, a- another problem with COVID. Uh, well, there's another problem with COVID. That, that is not being talked about, the COVID pandemic, that I have not seen talked about yet. And that was a slowdown in our population growth. Now, for the year through July, uh, growth of our population was only 0.35%. Now, that is the lowest ever, and it's just above the contraction. That could be another problem for the long-term growth of the country. Now, hopefully, going forward, we'll get back on track. And why is this so important? You need a growing population to expand the economy because if you're in a contraction, what's going to happen? You're going to be buying less goods and services, Things will start slowing down. That could actually cause a recession, perhaps a depression, if you don't have enough people consuming. So you have to have this nice growth of population, whether it's through uh, births in the country or whether it's through immigration, legal immigration. You have to have the economy keep growing so so the, the economy grows. And, and this is something that uh, we've not seen, and it was from the pandemic. Let's see if going forward the next year until we get back on track, I have seen different things uh, uh, in, in media and so forth talking about uh, how that the dating scene has changed. People were kind of like a, afraid to go out on dates and so forth. And that can be a problem because if you're not going on dates, you're not going to meet someone. You're not going to meet someone. You're not going to marry. You're not going to have kids. You're not going to buy a house and everything else that's involved. So, Brendan, you got to look like you're going to say something to that. Uh, I was just going to say, boy, am I lucky that I have a beautiful fiance and we're going to get married soon. So, yeah, you're you're out of that game. But just think if you were not out of that game and you were like a single, it'd be very hard to try to meet somebody. And, you know, it was already a hard single life prior to meeting her. So, (laughs) I'm lucky. Yeah, being single is kind of difficult trying to meet that right one. And now you you add on to the pandemic and the COVID, it really slowed things down. But But I do believe we will see. That get back on track probably uh, uh probably 2022 which will be here before you know I can't believe it's August already so but but that's one thing that I've not seen talked about yet was the population growth slowdown and again hopefully we don't go reverse to have a um uh, contraction uh, that'd be terrible and also too very important I saw um uh last week and 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 I've been on Wall Street and investing for now uh well over 40 40 years well about 42 years uh there was a quote from an article uh, uh from the Wall Street Journal that I've never heard and again I've been in a business for 40 years and it was stated that it was one of Wall Street's oldest quotes and it says and this is a true quote uh when the ducks quack feed them and what that means the meaning of that is that whenever investors are eager to buy something, brokers will sell it like mad. Investors beware, Wall Street is not on your side. I've said this for many years. Wall Street is there to make money. 
and and I've seen throughout the years all these things come out. We'll, we'll we'll talk about the tech boom and bust. I mean, how they were ready to sell all that stuff out there, get all that crap out there. They had no earnings and so forth. Uh, they've come up with these different things, the SPACs that we talked about. Those have uh, slowed down now because people are kind of realizing, hey, I can't make money on those. Uh, we've had other uh, these special things that Wall Street comes out with. Um, it, it's for them to make money. It is not there for you to make money. That's why you know we're value investors because, and Wall Street doesn't like what we do because we want to buy something and hold it for two, three, four, five years. We don't want to trade it. Uh, that's where the client, where the investor makes money. Wall Street doesn't make money when you don't do anything. So Wall Street's job is to get you to trade more. And I will tell you, they do a great job. Uh, I, I was, I've talked to some people and say, yeah, I do like 100, 150 trades a year. Oh my gosh, I would just drive me crazy doing that. Again, we do maybe on average four, maybe five trades a year. Uh, Warren Buffett does that. Uh, your successful long-term investors, that's what they do is they don't do a lot of trading. They spend a lot of time like we do to find good quality investments that you can buy today and have them be on sale and hold them for three, four, five years and, and see that nice growth over time. And, and make no mistake, you will see uh, volatility. Just because you buy something for the long term doesn't mean you buy it today at $10 a share and it goes every year up you know, to 11, to 12, to 13. No, it's gonna have volatility. Volatility is happens with investing. That's why I tell people, don't look at your portfolio uh, every day or every, every week, even every month. Uh, it's not going to change. And we have when clients come over uh, in the beginning, many times they are calling us, oh, you know, we're, we're flat. Oh, we're down 5%. That's okay. Well, we're not worried about that. And, and you should be the same way of coming investing is if you're buying good quality businesses at a good price, at a value price, and you pay the low price for them, don't worry that you didn't pay the lowest price. You're not going to be the investor that pays the lowest price. Now, speaking of how we do things, we do have uh, workshops, and I'm looking for the workshop sheet here. Here it is. Uh, we do have a workshop coming up on Thursday, Thursday evening, August 26th at 6 o'clock. We will be holding the Smart Investing Workshop, showing you how we invest our clients' money. I've been in the finance world for over 40 years, so I've seen a, seen a thing or two over that time frame, and we'll be sharing with you tons of information. We will be discussing the questions I hear a lot lately. Do you think the correction's coming? Well, we'll talk more about that. How important is compounding for investors? Uh, we will also give you our thoughts on the current inflationary environment. And we will also go over the detail of all the numbers that we go over here in, in the, in the uh, radio show. Also, too, how I manage money using all the financial numbers, talking about the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, all the ratios that we use, how we get our target sell price, our target buy price, all these different things we'll go over for you. The workshop is free, but you do need to register for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office, uh, talk to Brianna, 858 546 4306. That's 858 546 4306. And hope to see you on Thursday evening, August 26th, at the Smart Investing Workshop in Scripps Ranch. Okay, phone numbers here. I want to join the show 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. So we don't have any calls yet. So what I'm going to do is we also use Facebook. I did see on Facebook that uh, Jason wants to know about MGA. Now, one one thing I'm gonna notice here, now that I'm by myself, it's gonna take me a little bit longer to pull this stuff up because normally when, when I'm talking, Chase is looking things up, 
And when I'm talking, or no, when he's talking, I'm looking things up. So now you're going to hear the kind of the slowdown. Yeah, well, I can read you the the Facebook comment he has for. Oh the yes, please question. do that. Yes, yeah. what's he so, say? So uh, he says, "Let's take a look at MGA again, uh, since the EV craze got another presidential push again this past week. Numbers may have changed on MGA recently. Are there other companies that have their foot in more than one EV company like MGA does?" Okay, can you repeat that one more time just so I can kind of... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> never uh, so he says, let's take a look at MGA again. Uh, uh, since the EV craze uh, got another presidential push again this past week, numbers may have changed on MGA recently. Are there other companies that have their foot in more than one EV company like MGA does? Okay. Um, and one thing, I'm kind of distracted here because when I put in the numbers on Reuters, it comes up... Um, uh, what's it say here? I selected a non-U.S. company. Okay, so it's just a non-U.S. company. So I can't pull up those numbers. What I can do is I can look at, uh, we'll just got as a backup, I have uh, uh, Yahoo Finance here. So, um, I mean, with these EV companies and stuff, you know, one thing is not going to make a difference when they say thing for the one year. We do know that we are going to uh, electric vehicles. Uh, we listened to the conference call this past week from uh, General Motors, uh, from Ford, that is a big push for everybody. So um, one thing I will tell you what I would like to see, I would not like to see the government put more into it. I think it should be a private sector thing. These companies should be actually building their stations, just like we have gas stations. The, the government didn't build gas stations. The government actually let businesses do that. That's what it should be as now. All these uh, EV, uh, what do they call them, charging stations, uh, that should be done by the companies or it should be done by a private business that just like a gas station, they set up a charging station and they charge for it. That's what I think it should be done on that. Uh, but looking at Magnet International, did he ask also to um, Brendan what the, the, the value is? It is he still thinking of investing in it? Did he bring that up or no? Uh, not that I see, no. But he does want to. I think he does want to analyze it because he says that the numbers did change recently. But he, I don't know if he knows for sure. So okay. let's see if we can take a look. I guess. Uh, let me let me, let me uh, go back here because I got a lot, a lot of different things I got to do now because now I got to change over to the international side. So let me see what I can do here. Uh, and I thought Magna International, when it came up, I thought it did come up under the, the U.S. Let me kind of play with some things here to see what I can come up with. It is a Canadian uh, mm -hmm. company, but it is in uh, the New York, uh, or not the, uh, but you know, the uh, American, uh, you know, yeah, the American, too. The, yeah. the, uh, the New York Soccer Exchange. New York Soccer right Exchange. I know, you, yeah. I know we kind of go there with I had that, the so. biggest brain fart for two seconds there. Jeez. <laughs> Um, yeah, and for some reason, Reuters is just not bringing it up. So let me give you some other numbers on this here again. The company is a Magna International. Uh, their symbol is MGA. I see the price was $83.66 on Friday, down about $0.74. Cents. Now, the 52-week range for this company, wow, was a low of $43.08, did hit a high of $104.28. And as I said, right now, it's at $83.26. Uh, they do pay a small dividend. Not too bad, about $1.72. That's about a 2.04% dividend. Let's take a look at what the analysts say about this company going forward. Uh, see what we can see here. Uh, looks like we've got about 19 analysts going out to uh, December 2022. The average estimate is $9.26. Now, one thing, too, I just realized I don't have a calculator. This is the other thing, too. Chase could actually calculate this while I'm talking. What I generally do is that we use a Ford PE multiple, price earnings multiple, of 16.6, which is the 40-year uh, average. 
Now, what I have to do is kind of cheat here a little bit because what I have to do is say, I can't do, I'm sorry, I can't multiply $9.26 in my head and uh, multiply that times 16.6. What I generally do is say, well, let's use about 15 to see where you stand. Because then I can kind of do, because I'll take the uh, $9.26, multiply it times 10, gives me 92.60, cut that in half, that's 45, plus it's about 135. So that tells me right now, at about 135 or so, stocks at 83, it is still a good buy. I do worry um, about uh, everybody getting into this. And Magna is a great company, been around for many years on the auto parts. I would recommend looking at more detail on that. Let me see also too, I'm kind of looking at some other things here uh, that I can see on Magna for you as well. Uh, we do see the earnings history. Uh, they have beaten their earnings history for the last three quarters each quarter. And sometimes, gosh, in the, the uh, September quarter 2020, they beat it by uh, 60 cents. They were expected to make $1.35, made $1.95. They did miss in June of last year. Uh, they missed by about uh, $0.08 cents there. Came in $1.63 versus $1.71. Now, very important on the earnings are the trend. Is that trend going up? Is it going down? Was it stand? Going out to uh, December again, uh, 2022, um, I see that the 90 days ago, the estimate was eight seventy eight. As I said, now it's nine twenty six. So that's a positive. You want to see the direction that that is going. Let me take a look here uh, if I can find some other um, uh, numbers on here for you. Uh, uh, what they have yet, yeah, because I can see now here, the Ford PE is currently 11.4, no peg ratio, and peg ratio is your price earnings divided by growth, tells you how much you're paying for the future growth of the company. Uh, we do see price of sales looks good at 0.7, price to book value 2.2, and then uh, on profitability, we'll see down here, we got a return on equity of 9.3, that's very good. Looking at the income statement, they did pull in revenue of nine or $34 billion over the last 12 months. Uh, on the balance sheet, we got a total debt to equity, very good, 49.2, current ratio 1.4. So the company has a, a nice, strong balance sheet uh, with a nice liquidity there. So I, I like this company. I do like the pullbacks. I said I came from 104 uh, down to about, what is it, 83, I think I said now. Yeah, 83.66. So I think this could be a, a buy in the portfolio. It would be a long-term buy. Uh, again, this is just a quick analysis of it to try to point in the right direction. A lot more for you to do there. But that's what I recommend is, you know, worth worth looking at. You think that answers Jason's question? It's always hard on Facebook because you can't ask him. Is that what you were, were asking? We'll, we'll find out in like two minutes and I'll be like, hey, uh, Jason, how did it go? And he'll put a comment saying like, actually, I want more information now. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. No, yeah. you he, do. he might. He might. And that's okay if he does that. Yeah. Alrighty. Phone numbers here. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Two four seven three. So I think we got another a person from from Facebook. Uh, Scott uh, wants to know about ENPH. Now I don't recognize that uh, that symbol uh, as a company. Did you say what company it is? Uh, and it's, what's his comment uh, there? Uh, it is Enphase Energy, and his only comment was, "Can you please analyze ENPH?" So not much information. I'm assuming he's looking to buy it. So, but it's Enphase Energy. Uh, and it's an energy technology company headquartered in Fremont, California. So, oh, okay. uh, so manufacturing and software-driven home energy solutions that span solar generation, home energy storage, and web-based monitoring and uh, control. And, and, and this whole industry is pretty hot here. And this is when you want to try to find a company that's kind of stalled at a good price, but many times you find they're a higher price. So let's take a look at... Uh, Enphase Energy Incorporated, their symbol is ENPH. 
we do see, unfortunately, a bad start here. PE ratio of 141 versus 35, very expensive. Price of sales also very expensive, 22.8 versus 6.7. Price of book value, 51 versus 22, and staying in suit with the others, a high price of cash flow of 117 versus 21. And again, these are valuation ratios. You want these lower than the industry average, not higher. Well, let's see, it justifies with the higher growth rates. We do see sales were up 47% year over year for the last 12 months. That is better than the industry average, up 17.4. Unfortunately, earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months, not looking so good. They were only up 3%. The industry is up 14%. So here could be a problem. you got these high valuation ratios. You do have good sales growth, but why are the earnings not growing? Could have been write-offs, could have been something else, but make sure you understand why the earnings are not growing as well as the sales are growing. Look at the balance sheet. Uh, we do see a current ratio of 4.7 versus 2.4. That's very good. It almost kind of uh, teeters on, the, on the, the brink here about maybe too much liquidity, but again, they've got a lot of cash there. It means they won't go bankrupt in the near future. They can pay their bills. They do have a weak balance sheet with a total debt to equity of 173 versus 61. We don't like much above 120 or 125. We do see return to equity is 38.4 versus 21. That's a positive. Net profit margin checks in at 17.3, just below the industry at 18.5. So I'm okay with that. Looking at the receivable turnover, 5.7. That's below the industry at 9. And then inventory turnover, 17.2 versus 4.9. So that is good. Let's go forward here, see a little bit more about the company. Again, they closed on Friday down about $3.71, about $179.74 was the price. Looking at their 52-week range, uh, it's been a high of $229, a low of $58.67. They do not pay a dividend. Let's take a look at the uh, analysis here uh, going forward, what the analysts say about uh, uh, Enphase Energy. Uh, we do see that there's, uh, let me see, we got 23 analysts. They go out to December of 2022. They're looking for average earnings of $2.70. Now, as I said, the stock is $1.79. I can't multiply 16.6 in my head, uh, but I can do 15 times earnings. That would give me about, uh, what, $4 and, no, $40.50 or so. It's so around $4 a share, as I expected at $1.79. All the hype is there with this one. And it could keep going up, could have a lot of hype there because of excitement. But the earnings at 270 do not uh, justify that at all. Looking at the earnings history here, we do see they have beat every quarter for the last four quarters. Uh, not by a whole lot. The best quarter was uh, December 2020. They beat by 27.5%, uh, but most of the time it's been 20 to 25%. Uh, the trend of those earnings, not very much over the last 90 days uh, for the year ending December 2022. We do see nine days ago, they were looking for $2.76, uh, now $2.70. So actually kind of going the wrong direction, but I would not be worried about a $0.06 cent, uh, dividend cut there. Uh, we do see, uh, what am I looking for here now? The five-year growth rate, 41.67%. Uh, no surprise there. We know these type of companies going to grow. The question you have to ask yourself as an investor, do I want to be the guy or gal that pays the highest price for this company? Um, because as you know, Long-term, we're always told in investing, buy low and sell high. The hard part is, what is that price that you want to sell low at because of the fact that, um, or I'm not sell low at, but buy low at because of the fact that you have to say, 
I've got to buy this company at a good price so someone will pay a higher price for it. Now, there is something out there called the greater fool theory, and that's a theory that you pay a high price for it, hoping that there's a greater fool out there than you that's going to pay a higher price for it. And I will tell you through history, buying super high does not really work well. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. I'll let you know. I'll tell you a secret. Right now, all phone lines are open. No one is there waiting. So if you've not been able to get through, now's the time you can. 866-577-2473. I did talk about the jobs report. And for the jobs report, uh, again, it was a stellar jobs report. did extremely well. But gold futures actually uh, didn't do so well. Uh, they settled with their worst daily drop since mid-June and their sharpest weekly drop in nearly two months. And this was after the U.S. job growth accelerated in July by the most, most in nearly a year. And the employment rate, I didn't mention this earlier, employment rate is now 5.4%. That's a pretty good number. And gold did actually uh, close down about $17.63 uh, per ounce, uh, the lowest since June 18th, as I said, capping a nearly 3% decline for the week. Uh, the job numbers hit gold because they blew away the expectations. They did so well that, wait a minute, maybe the Federal Reserve will be raising interest rates. Maybe by them raising interest rates, that will cap off inflation. We won't have inflation. Therefore, gold's inflation head, hedge uh, does not work. So the market is anticipating that the Fed's taper date could be brought forward and announced in September, and the actual tapering in early January is most likely, but we could see that it's going to um, increase rates sooner. Now, this also hurt not just gold, but many of your high-tech companies got hurt as well because uh, high-tech companies, they borrow money many times. You know, they don't want to pay higher rates for more money, so that can hurt them um, as well. So that's what uh, what happened with gold. And, and if you still have gold's inflation hedge, I don't know about you, but I go in the store, and I do see that there still is a lot of prices that are increased from before. Uh, things are going up. Gosh, you just go to the, the, the pump. You see that you're paying about 40% more for gas than you did a year ago. And, and that goes into a lot of different things because it's not just you paying for it. It's that uh, service. Uh, maybe you have a plumber come out to your house or an electrician or whatever it may be. Uh, well, they got to pay more because it costs them more to get to your house. To transport goods, that costs more. Uh, so if you're going to do the trucking, well, you got to pay more for the energy to do that. Uh, shipping as well. So, alrighty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Poway and speak with Pat. Pat, you're on the Smart Vest Show with Brent and Chase, who's not here today. How can we help you? <laughs> Hey, good, good morning to all. Good morning. Um, my question is regarding the 5G buildup, the infrastructure. I understand that like Verizon and T-Mobile stock is, is pretty good and the projections are, I'm told, is pretty good. But I'm more concerned about the actual buildup of the 5G infrastructure. How much still needs to be built up? What are the small companies that are doing that that are being hired out to build up the infrastructure? And is that a good way? to look at this uh, new upcoming technology, as well as 6G. And nobody's been talking 6G, but I've understood that it's coming right around the corner as well. That's yeah. my question. Yeah, and, and Pat, there probably will be a 6G and a 7G, and they'll, they'll keep growing it. They'll never stop saying, okay, we're done. But you got a great question, and, and I don't have the answer for you, but the question is, what smaller companies that are maybe undiscovered yet, they're going to benefit from the growth of 5G? 
Um, those are the ones you want to find because those are the ones that could be on sale. If you discover them, it's kind of like digging for gold. You found it where nobody else found it. Same thing here. You don't want to be buying, in my opinion, the Verizons, the T-Mobiles. I think they're well overdone. Uh, one thing that uh, I've looked at and they're too expensive was the um, – uh, oh, the, the the antennas, the the infrastructure that you actually go, the towers. That's what I was looking for. The towers, um, looking for those. They're expensive. So there's a lot of things that are expensive. What you do is just kind of listen. Uh, at our firm, we do a lot of reading. Uh, we read, you know, the, the journal. We read uh, Seeking Alpha. We read uh, Barrons. We read a lot of different things, trying to looking for that magical company that is on sale. Um, so I don't know if you find her or maybe somebody else is listening, they found one, please share it with us because that we'll take a look at that to see, because if you can find that company that's undiscovered, it's on sale. Yeah. You'll do very well investing in 5g. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I did, I did have a few, a few companies, but I have my, my notes at work. So I don't have you there with me. Um, but I'm looking forward to your, your workshop. You said on the 26th, correct? Yes. Yes. Did you sign up for it already, Pat? No, I will sign up. My, uh, I'll bring my son as well. He's he just now turned eighteen. He's interested in investing. Uh, he played football with your son Nash, oh, so cool. he wants to say hi to Nash. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to coming out there to to hear what you guys have to say and bring my son along as well because he's interested in starting to invest. Well, good, good. We're, we're looking forward to it. We do like the young investors to get them on the right track because I know, unfortunately, a lot of them are, are doing the meme stocks and cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. I remember the same thing back in the tech boom. A lot of younger people got into buying tech stocks and when it fell apart, oh, stocks are so risky. Don't invest in stocks. You lose all your money. It gave them a tainted view of investing. So we like to show the younger people. And again, we tell younger people, gosh, if you can just make, you know, 8, 10, 12% on average per year, you're so young. If you do it, you're going to multiply your, your money many times. By the time you're, you know, 60, 65, you're going to be a multimillionaire. But many times people want things too quick, but we'd love to have your son there and kind of show him how we invest. Already? I do have two things. Sure. I, I do have a, a second set of notes. This is not my original notes, but I have two companies here, and I know I have about four or five. One is called Keysight Electronic Movement. Do you know the symbol for it? It's, I think it's K-E-Y-S is, is the uh, code. KYS. Uh, I think Brendan's looking that up. Uh, Brendan, is that KYS? Is that uh, what you're finding? Keysight Technologies, correct? Keysight. Keys. Was that again? Keysight, Keysight Technologies. Keysight Technologies, right? Keysight. Keysight. I, I have it there. It's Keysight Electronic Measurements. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's a different one that we're kind of looking at. Yeah. And probably your. And your, then there's another one called Comscope. Comscope. Now, where did you find these companies? They're they're obviously not your normal companies. Where did you find these, Pat? I was just reading some reports uh, about the, the network about three or four months ago. It listed a couple of companies, and I started reading into other reports. Uh, started just searching the net internet for some things, and I, I came across a list of about five or six companies, and that's what I have at work. I guess I wrote these two down on a, on a scrap sheet of paper that I still had. Okay, and and you said you saw this on the internet. Do you know who actually wrote this? Because the internet, there's a lot of good information, but a lot of very bad information as well. So, do you know where the information came from? Yeah, it actually was from the the, the uh, Department of Commerce. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we gotta say that's a good one. <laughs> there's a paper from them about the upcoming five G network, and, and I, the original discussion, I believe, was what is what is five G? What does it mean to you, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there was the concern uh, about, like, how much difference it is. And, of course, there's also the other concern 
about because of where it's coming from and the control, uh, big government controlling things and everything is being connected to the Internet of Things. And now we're starting to have all these um, ransomware attacks. And, and that was kind of like the gist behind the article. And then, it, then for some reason it referenced another article about infrastructure. And then I switched to that article about infrastructure. And that's where I started finding out these companies' names. Okay. Well, well let's take a look at Keysight Technologies Incorporated. Symbol is K-E-Y-S, Keys. Uh, not a bad start. I say that because I see the P.E. ratio is 41.7 versus 52.2, so a high P.E. ratio for the company and the industry. Price of sales looks very expensive, though, 6.6 versus 3.3. Price of book value, 18.9. That is good because of the fact that the uh, P.E. ratio or the price to book value for the industry is not material. And we do see price of cash flow, 28.2 versus 26. That's a positive. Now, looking at the growth rates, we do see that the growth on the sales are up 10.4%. That's about five times the industry at two. We see earnings per share for the company grew at 29.6 versus 39.7. The balance sheet looks very strong. Current ratio 2.9 above the industry at 1.7. And debt to equity very good at 50.5. I say very good because the industry is at 118. Return on equity is 22.6 versus 13.9. Net profit margin checks in at 16.2 versus 6.3. And then we see receivable turnover is 8 versus 4.1. And then inventory turnover, 2.4. Now, that's below the industry at 6.3, and that could be a problem. You don't want companies getting stuck with inventory, especially technology companies, because it, it grows so fast. You could have something in your your your, your warehouse that you, you bought and then six months later, it's almost worthless because of um, advancements. It becomes obsolete. So I'm, I'd be worried about why their inventory turnover is so low. So I would want to check that out. Let's take a look at the earnings going forward for the company. Uh, let me put in again the uh, symbol here is key, keys. I like I like that. I can't, can't forget that one. Um, all right. So we see it closed at $166.60 on Friday, up $0.20. Cents. The 52-week range, we see a high of 168.17 as a high, the low 90.62. And to let you know, Pat, we don't like to buy companies at the 52-week high. It has to really be something phenomenal there for us to do that. We like to be the guy that buys things on sale. Obviously, Keysight Technologies is not on sale now. Uh, let's take a look at the earnings going forward for them. We do see that we've got uh, 13 analysts. They say the average uh, earnings for the year-ending uh, December 2022 is $6.46. I put a multiple of 15 on that, not our 16.6, but 15. You're going to stock price somewhere around uh, 100, 110, uh, well below the 166. So here again is what I was kind of talking about, was we do have uh, a good company, but it's just too expensive. And again, the stock could go to 200, 250, but I don't want to be the guy that pays more than what the average value value of a company is. So I, I would have to say that Keysight Technologies would be a sell. Um, I've not looked at what the company does. And this is the other thing too, Pat, you really want to understand what this business does. And we'll show you more of this when you come to the workshop. But um, based on what we see here, it's not worth the research. We would put a sell on this one here. All righty? Sounds great. Thank you. Well, Pat, thanks for calling. You have a great day. We'll see you at the workshop. And uh, you have a good one. You too. Thank you for your time. Okay, Pat. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473.
and that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Let me look at uh, where to go here. There's one here that I want to talk about, kind of a, a tie to this. And uh, some people have the idea, if I just hold on long-term to this company, I'll have some great returns down the road. Well, let's look back at the IPO of Charles Schwab. I mean, we all know Charles Schwab, big company, big trader, and so forth, uh, which is now at 26,500% return. That's nearly an 18% return. Wow, wish I would have done that and held on to it. But you may be asking, how could anybody have been so foolish not to hang on? Well, let me answer that question for you. And just imagine this. In the first year that Charles Schwab, the shares of Charles Schwab, Schwab went public, they fell 59%. So in other words, if you put in $10,000, you're all excited about it, like, well, I'm going to make money on this. By the end of the year, you only had uh, about $4,000. How many people do you think losing nearly 60% of their money would stay the course? I would have to say slim to none because like, oh, this is not going to work and so forth. And I don't know what the fundamentals were on Charles Schwab back then, but I'm imagining that they weren't, you know, probably they were probably okay. But when you see these big returns, like, oh, this person made 10,000%. Oh, they made 20,000%. Most people, and I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of people will not hold on during those, those down periods. Because I've seen companies drop, you know, as I said, Charles Schwab was down 60, what, 59%. Sometimes they drop 60, 70, 80% through the down periods. And what people always say is it's different this time. It's gonna, it's not gonna come back and the emotions really take over on you and you really stop investing. You get out of what you're gonna be doing, that why you bought that business and you sell. And that's why most people do not have, unfortunately, that 26,000% return on Charles Schwab. All right, phone numbers, all lines are open, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And let's turn to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson from Wilshire Management, talking about how Social Security benefits are calculated. Well, good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Brent. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I was so excited to see this uh, topic you're talking about because this is something that is really uh, I, I don't think most people understand it. So I, I want to hear how, how does this calculate? I'm sure everybody else does as well. Yeah, I thought it would be a good topic. I talked to a lot of people who are getting ready to retire and they're wondering um, if there's anything they can do to increase that social security amount that they're going to get before they retire or what the impact will be if they retire earlier, those types of things. So I thought it'd be a good idea to explain how it works. Um, you know, so people are a little bit more informed. But uh, first and foremost, it starts off with taxes. So, you know, we, we pay federal taxes on our income, we pay state taxes on our income, but also we have to pay social security taxes on our income. And so how it works is for all the earned income we have, which would be wages and self-employment income, we have to pay social security taxes on the gross amount of that. So. If you are an employee, meaning you have a boss and you get a W-2, 6.2% uh, of your gross wages are withheld and those go to the Social Security Trust. If you are self-employed, then that means you have to do double that. So it's actually 12.4% of your wages are withheld just for Social Security. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's a pretty large number. Um, the income, the earned income tax limit has a cap. So what that means is once you reach 
income of $142,800 this year in 2021, once you reach that limit, you don't have to pay Social Security taxes anymore. So if you are an employee, the maximum tax you'd have to pay is $8,854 a year. Um, If you're self-employed, that number is $17,707 a year. So that's a, a tax that you're paying throughout your entire working career to go into Social Security, and then when you retire, you get to take some of that out. So that, that's the first part of it. Now, for the actual benefit, the first thing you need is you have to qualify for it. To qualify to receive anything at all, you have to work for 40 quarters, which would be 10 years. And so there's a, there's a lot of confusion here because people say, okay, you know, I've got my 10 years of work, now I can get Social Security. Yes, that's true, but it's probably going to be very small because there's a difference between qualifying for it and the actual benefit that you get because the amount that you get is based on 35 years of earnings. So Mm -hmm. you can only work for 10 years and get it, but if you only work for 10 years, that means you've got 25 years of no income that means your the total amount that you're going to get is uh, is is way down there. So you, you know, that's, um, so, so, that's so good to hear because the fact that you know many people think, oh, I can work for ten years, I'll collect Social Security the same as everybody else. But you're saying that's not the case. You're saying that no, you got to work much longer to get the full benefit, correct? That's absolutely correct. So what they do is once you get close to retirement, they take the highest thirty five years of earnings in any order. Doesn't have to be consecutive, but they take. 35 years of earnings, and then they average that out to a monthly amount, and they get something called an AMI, an Average Index Monthly Earnings. It's basically, um, through your career, the average monthly income that you have. And so that number then gets applied to something some similar to a tax bracket um, to get your primary insurance amount, which is the amount that you would get at your full retirement age, usually age 67. Um once you have that number, then you can collect anywhere between age 62 and 70. If you collect at age 62, you get a 30% reduction. If you collect at age 70, you get a 24% increase, and, and that's how that's, uh, that's kind of calculated. But, again, I have a lot of people that say, well, what if I retire earlier? What if I keep working? Um, again, with early retirement, since 35 years is, you know, it's a pretty long time frame. If you stop a little bit early, you know, maybe there's one, two or three years. So you've only got 31 years of earnings or 32 years of earnings. It's probably not going to impact you that much. And if you do keep working, it's probably not going to benefit you that much. Um, but another thing I, I thought was important to, to um, make here is for people who have really long careers, because 35 years isn't that long. I mean, there's people that have 40, 45 years of earnings, you, Prince, you're going to be one of them. You never want to stop. <laughs> I'll never but, stop. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things about that means is if you have a career that's over 35 years, that means beyond that, you're still working, you're still paying taxes, and you're getting absolutely no benefit for those additional Social Security taxes that you're paying. So if you work for you know 45 years, that means 10 of those years you're paying taxes and it doesn't help you at all. And, and Harrison, when you start, uh, you're 17 years old, you start working at the local fast food restaurant, they're withholding Social Security from those people as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So It's not that much, yeah. but you are. Any type of job, whether it's a part-time or you know whatever, um, if you're getting a W-2 and you're working for any type of company, they are withholding Social Security for you. So, you know, anybody who has worked can go to the 
Social Security Administration website, make a login and look at their earnings history um, to see, you know, what what they're keeping track of for every year. And it's probably not a bad idea for everyone to do that because there are times where there are mistakes on the Social Security side. And if there are, you want to make sure you get that corrected. Because if you're paying taxes, you at least want to, you know, get a benefit of that in, in the form of the Social Security benefit. Yeah, and I think what you're saying, too, is that, I mean, actually, and, and I know I'm, I'm probably one of those people because I started working when I was 15. I worked on the table. and I was 16, I started getting paid over the table, I guess I call it. Um, but I've been paying in for a long time. Um, I will continue working. So, I mean, if you start when you're 16 and you work to just a normal retirement age of 65, uh, that's nearly 50 years of working. Yep. What you're saying is you don't get a benefit for that because of the fact that you only get the 35 years. That's correct. So in that case, it's just like the other taxes we pay. We pay into it and get no benefit for it. <laughs> and, and then you wonder, and I know the answer to this, I'm just kind of being facetious. Then you wonder, well, with that type of plan, how can Social Security be having troubles and run out of money in, what, 2035, depending on when you look at it? But I know the reason for that is that they pay out just way too much on the payout side uh, versus the income side coming in. That's really what it is. And I mean, the whole the whole system needs reform. The problem about it is no politician wants to touch it. It's unpopular to say, hey, we're going to mess with, um, you know, your benefits or we're going to mess with your taxes. So nobody really wants to wants to touch that. Um, But yeah, uh, with last year, uh, you know, again, it's based off of earned income. Well, a lot of people last year were unemployed on unemployment, didn't work as much because of the pandemic. So um, a lot of people are concerned that that's going to have a, an impact, an even greater impact to Social Security, which can cause that fund to run out sooner. Um, oh, you're right, so because there, if they're not working, they're not paying into the program. So therefore, Social Security last year, and even through now, because people, some people are still not working, they're not accumulating as much money because if you're not working, you're not paying in Social Security. That's, that's exactly it. And last year, there were high-income people that did well, but again, the the cap is only $142,000. So, you know, high-income people can make as much income as they want. It, it doesn't increase the amount into Social Security anymore. So with a lot of lower, mid- to lower-income people on unemployment, they're not paying into the system, so that can really hurt the longevity of it. So, I mean, from a return perspective, if you look at all the money that is paid into Social Security on an individual basis, because... If you're an employee, you pay into it, and then your employer also matches you. So that's why the employee is 6.2%. Employer also has to do 6.2% as well. If you take all that money for one person and add up the money that's paid in throughout their career and and then look at the benefits they get in retirement, it's not a good investment at all. Um, And there are other countries that are, are, you know, invest in different things with their Social Security programs, and their returns are a whole lot better. But right now, the way Social Security is um, written is they can only invest that trust fund money in um, government securities and, and treasuries that don't have any interest right now. So the fund is not growing. Yeah, and I think um, it was back it, when uh, I believe the George W. Bush, I think it was a younger one, I believe. Yeah, George H. was the older one. George W. was a uh, younger one. He actually wanted to allow people to put, I believe it was 20, maybe 30% of their Social Security into investing. And there's pros and cons to that one that obviously you'll get a better return. But if you're allowed to do silly things and, and buy companies that go bankrupt, you could be in worse worse shape. But but you're right. I mean, right now, and also, too, not only is the Social Security not getting money coming in because people aren't working, 
but now the returns on the the treasuries are what one one two one three I think is where it is. That's not a good rate. I think yeah. it would take you about seventy two years uh, to double your money if you were just earning one percent. So it's probably maybe maybe fifty years money will double. So that means down the road, and it, it is kind of funny, Harrison, because we want lower rates, uh, interest rates, so the government pays less on their debt. But when you get that, that hurts the Social Security side because their growth is not going to be as much under lower rates. So for them, you want higher rates so they get a better return on their money. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a catch-22 because uh, the Social Security fund, a lot of that is, is what's buying these government um, securities that are being sold to increase the money supply. So, um, you know, it's there's a lot of people that are saying, well, let's just have people invest. Well, the, one of the issues with that is Social Security itself, I mean, the trust fund is massive, and it takes up um, a large portion of what is totally in the, the whole stock market right now. So if that amount of money flowed into the stock market, then that would, you know, mess valuations up and, and, and market caps and that type of thing. So it is a problem. Um, if I could opt out of Social Security, I would absolutely love to do that. But the problem is, if you're allowed to opt out, then... A lot of people would, and a lot of people don't have the discipline to really save that money instead. Um, so then we get a bunch of old people that don't have any money and don't have Social Security. So, yep. um, you know, there's been conversations about, well, let's start a new a new system where people are allowed to invest a portion of that, but they still have to have it withheld. Um, you know, maybe that would be better, but it's, uh, it, it's definitely an issue right now with with the money projected to run out. That doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, we're not going to get anything. There's, there's still going to be social security benefits around because people are still paying into it. It's just, um, we might see some changes in the coming years, I would say. Yeah. And, and I hope those changes are in the benefits. And again, not to cut people's social securities, but they, they just do so many different things that they're just so liberal with it. And, and maybe also too, maybe that, that uh, 40 quarters, maybe they expand that to 20 quarters. Uh, you know, something else to try to make it more difficult to get the benefits from it because, I mean, 10 years is not that long. Uh, I, I don't think you have the numbers on what the difference is if you had the 35 years versus the 10 years. But even with that, I, I, and it, say that you, uh, you know, worked for 10 years, uh, you retired at an average age of 65, uh, and you lived to be 95. I No doubt in my mind, over 30 years, you probably took out a lot more money than you put in uh, which kind of drains the system. I know there's other benefits as well from from Social Security. Sometimes they it seems like they pay your 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 long lost uh, stepson from 20 <laughs> years ago. Oh well, he oh he gets a benefit too. So it seems like their benefits are too generous. When in my opinion, it should be just for people for retirement, not all these other benefits that they pass out there. Yeah, that's how it started. Uh, Social Security started in the 30s, and it was just for. Uh, retired people and then they added spouses in there and then dis disabled people and children and family members so it, it's definitely expanded and, and that's what's caused you know part of this uh, part of uh, this illiquidity there but um, you know they, they've tried to add more taxes in there they've tried to increase the age in which you have to collect which I think might not be a bad way to do it because people are living a whole lot longer. So if they have to wait a little bit longer to get social security, I think that would, uh, that could help as well. But again, no, no politicians want to talk about it. The only thing I've seen about dealing with social security is increasing the benefits. Well, if we do that, you know, we've, uh, <laughs> we're going to run out faster. So. That's right. 
Yeah, it, uh, it is an issue when you write no politician wants to talk about. They say it's the, the death wish for a politician because you talk about cutting Social Security or doing something else. Uh, they're not going to get reelected. So maybe if there's a president that has his second term where he doesn't care about it. But then again, you get all the congressmen and the, the senators and so forth. Yeah. They vote. So it is a very diff, difficult situation. Uh, you know, I, I've only got an other, another hour and 10 minutes left here on the show. I don't think we can resolve it in that time frame. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are things that need to be done. Uh, with it, and, and I think it has to be on the benefit side because you can't keep, keep you know, taxing the employer and the employees. And again, I think you said uh, 6.2%. I mean, that is putting in 12.4%, uh, 100 grand a year. That's 12,400 a year. Gosh, if you put right. that into a nice 401k, you'd have such a nice benefit down the road, you know, 30, 35 oh, yeah. years. So that's, that's exactly what I mean. The income that you could create from that is much, much more than you would get from Social Security. And you know, when money's in a 401k, you're probably not going to deplete all that. And then that money goes to the next generation. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it's just so much better to, to have a system like that. Yeah. Well, maybe we should run for uh, Congress or president and try to get it fixed ourselves. What do you think? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, Harrison, thank you very much. And again, these are things you go over uh, when people come in for a financial planning consultation. Uh, you've got to look at Social Security, what could or may not happen with it. It's all part of the financial plan. Uh, so thanks, thanks for sharing with us today. And if people want a free consultation with you, uh, I'll give them the number they can call. All righty. All right. Thanks, friend. Have a good day. You too, Harrison. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. He is a CFP uh, with Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, he's on a fee base. Uh, I pay him a salary. He's not going to try to sell you a product. If you want a true financial plan and sit down with a true financial planner, give us a call at the office, 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. And just talk to Harrison. He's on the phone tree there. You can talk to him directly. You can also go to the website, uh, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see information there about Harrison. You can contact him through the website as well. But I highly encourage you, if you want to talk to a true financial planner, someone that really has no bias, to try to sell you product. And I know, I, I hate to say this, but it's true in the industry, there's financial planners out there that are, oh yeah, we'll do a financial plan. Oh yeah, we're, we're financial planners and so forth. And it's just to sell you a product to make a big commission. Again, Harrison does not sell any product. He's on a salary, I pay him a salary so he doesn't have to, uh, and I pay him a nice salary too, so he doesn't have to kind of sell to make more uh, off of uh, sales there. Alrighty, phone numbers here, 866-577. 2473. That's 866 577 2473. And I do want to talk about the workshop again that is coming up on Thursday evening, August 26th at 6 o'clock. We'll be holding the Smart Investing Workshop, showing you how we invest our money and clients' money. Again, this is how we do our own personal money. And along with what I've been doing for my clients' money for, well, I've been in the finance world for about 40 years now. And learned a thing or two about investing. We'll share with you, we'll be discussing the question I hear a lot lately. Do you think a correction is coming? We're going to talk about that. How important is compounding for investors? We'll also give you our thoughts on current inflationary environment. And also too, we'll go over in detail all the numbers that we talk about here on the show, how we manage money, what we look at when we're, we're looking at investing in a company or selling a company for that matter. We'll go over all those numbers for you. The nice thing is it's a free workshop, no cost for it. But what you have to do is you have to register. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office. Talk to Brianna at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Brianna. She can just sign up. And we look forward to seeing the Smart Investing Workshop Thursday evening, August 26th, 6 o'clock, right there in Scripps Ranch. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. <clears throat> this past week on uh, social media, I believe it was Facebook, I got a question from uh, Robert. Uh, wanted to know my thoughts on, I believe the company is pronounced Platika Holding Corporation. The symbol is PLTK. Let's take a look at that one here. Unfortunately, not a great start here, Robert. P.E. ratio is 87.9 versus 69, so both high for the industry and the company. We do see price to sales, 4.1 versus 12.8. That's a positive. Unfortunately here, no price to tangible book value versus 96 for the industry. And then price to cash flow, 47 versus 39. So valuation ratio is very high for, again, I'm going to try it again, Platika Holding Corporation. Uh, we do see that uh, no dividend. Uh, sales looking pretty good, up 25.3% year over year, above the industry at 16.9. But unfortunately, earnings per share fell by 43.5%. Industry actually saw their earnings grow by 21%. So you want to find out, well, yeah, they're growing their sales at 25%. What happened? Why did earnings fall by 43%? Why know that answer before you invest in the company? Uh, we do see a current ratio here of 3.1 versus 1.9. Now, that sounds pretty good. But that's a current ratio, and that includes other things like accounts receivable and inventory and so forth. There's something known as a quick ratio, which kind of takes it out. That is not there. So it could be a lot of these liquid assets are in inventory or perhaps accounts receivable, which could be sold at less than than a dollar for dollar, which is not as good as a quick ratio. And I also see debt to equity, not material versus 71. So either they have no equity or their debt exceeds the equity. I'll try to take a look at that when we're done here as well. Oh wait, Chase is not here, so I can't do it because he can't look at the other stuff. I gotta look at everything. So <laughs> net profit margin is uh, 3.7 versus 18.7. And then let me go quickly here to the um, to the uh, uh, numbers here. Um, the earnings going forward. Uh, let me put this in here. Oh, gosh, this is so hard without Chase. I mean, I got to do everything myself and kind of, here we go. Start to close on, uh, you know, it's so funny because I've been doing the show for 28 years. I used to do this all myself. I mean, Chase has been on the show with me about six years. I used to do this all myself here. I, I guess I'm kind of out of the rhythm. Uh, Plantica did close at $25.11 on Friday. Uh, the 52-week range is a low of $20.80, a high of $35.09, so not hitting the 52-week high. I think I'm running short of time here before the break. Let me look real quickly. Uh, there's nine analysts that follow this company. Uh, earnings per share, $1.14. Put a multiple of 15 on that. You get about $15, $17 a share. Too expensive. Got to go to the break. So stay with us. Uh, we got uh, Coming up next on the show, we got Kelly Cunningham, economist in San Diego here, talking about what's going on with the economy. We'll be back taking your calls. Very slow day on the calls. 866-577-2473. Uh, Don't call it now because we do have the... Uh, Kelly Cunningham, economist, coming in to talk about more on the economy. You listen to Smart Investing Show, Brent Chase. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. Yes, phone lines are open. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And gosh, I think this is the slowest uh, call volume we've had that I can ever remember. And it, it happens sometimes. I see it's kind of cloudy outside. People are like, oh, laying in bed. And then what happens is kind of funny. Then in the second half, uh, the second half of the show, like at 930, everybody starts calling in. Like, well, now I only got 30 minutes to answer all your calls. So I would recommend that you call in earlier. I do have an interview coming up with uh, San Diego economist uh, Kelly Cunningham. But write the numbers down, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three, and that gets you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Right now, I see Kelly's waiting, so let's go to Kelly Cunningham. Good morning, Kelly. How are you doing this morning? Hi, good morning. I'm doing good. Thank you. Well, good, good. Thanks for being here. Your, your program. Well, good. Thanks for being here. And I do want to kind of give you a little background, our listeners, a little background on you that you, uh, Cunningham, has closely monitored San Diego's economy for four decades. That's 40 years. I didn't think that you were that old there, Kelly. Uh, his analysis and views of the local economy are regularly sought by local, state, national, and international businesses, uh, government, and media. He's a featured contributor to the San Diego Union Tribune's Ecometer weekly business column. He is also a graduate student of the Miss Mrs. Institute. I've never heard of that. Well, Kelly, thank you for joining us this morning. And, and we got some great things to talk about. And and uh, I like to talk to economists. And, and again, I do a lot of different things. We manage money. So we are looking at the economy. It's always good to talk to economists, get your your perspective. The big news right now that he's concerned about, especially after yesterday's jobs report, maybe it's going to be there, maybe it's not, but is current inflation transitory? What is your opinion? Yeah, I, I've um, yeah, that, I, I see that a lot in the news, and, and uh, that uh, you know, and, that, and of course that's been spoken that that this inflation that we're seeing, we're seeing some big jumps in in various things, uh, used cars, gas prices, of course, but it, that it's transitory because now that the economy's reopening, that it uh, people are out spending money, and that's part of the story. But I I think it really, and and when we Think about a business cycle. It, it takes a while for things to ramp up, you know, to start producing again. And, and we, we, of course, with the shutdown, the pandemic, we, we did cut back in a lot of production. And now it's starting to catch up to us as we're out. And it'll take a while for things to ramp up again. But I think it's it's more than that. I think that it, it, it isn't transitory. They, they said that you know, prices fell. I, I don't remember prices falling a lot during the pandemic. Uh, and so for the prices now to start increasing, well, it wasn't, it wasn't due like a catch up. It, it's now uh, prices are, are advancing much more than, than normal or whatever is normal. But um, we're, we're just seeing the beginning of a, the cycle of where prices will start escalating and, and as they already have. And, and so and, what, one of the, and, and Kelly, what is manifestation? Go, go ahead. Yeah, one of the, you know, when, when we start seeing shortages, that tells you that, okay, but production hasn't happened. And so you're, we're starting to see shortages all around. Uh, uh, you know, I think you were talking about refrigerators. You can't find a refrigerator available. Uh, these are just manifestations that production had slowed and they're, they're catching up. But in the meantime, we're going to see inflation. Uh, increasing. I, I think 
by the end of the year, we'll, we'll be seeing double-digit inflation, ten, you know, over 10%, uh, starting to go back to kind of a 70s-style hyperinflation that uh, that uh, we, we've seen before. And if anything, I think we, we might see it even worse, would be my, my view on that. Yeah, and, and that would be terrible to see that. I, I and Kelly, I, I like you, but I, I hope you're wrong on that. I'm sure many people think, uh, hope that you're wrong on that as well. But I, one thing that does worry me, and again, we had the jobs report. I don't know if you had a chance to analyze that and so forth, but that did cause rates to go up somewhat. But what worries me is that we don't have people out there producing. And again, you talk about the business cycle, how it takes time to get things up and running. People don't realize that. You still have people that are not going back to work to manufacturer and I've seen different companies that we have where they are having problems with that uh, kind of funny we had this one company that actually the CEO was saying that uh, and they do uh, flooring is what they do and he was saying yeah we, we hire somebody new we've given the first paycheck and they don't come back for a couple of days <laughs> I mean that's very hard to run a business manufacturing which hurts that business cycle and the other thing too Kelly I mean we've got I believe an M2 which is a liquid money in the economy I think it's like 20.4 trillion dollars I mean so much money chasing goods that can't be produced. What's your opinion? Yeah, exactly. The, you know, I, I try to explain it is, is uh, you know, if you, well, well, our government, which of course doesn't actually print money, but somehow digitizes it and distributes it. But when you, if you, if you take, for example, a million dollars and you now print or digitize another million dollars without producing one good, you know, you haven't, Produce extra goods. All you've done is made your money supply chasing. You have twice as many dollars chasing the same amount of goods and services. Well, that's that's hyperinflation. That, that you doubled the cost of things, and, and it takes a while for that to cycle through. But but and that's essentially what we have. We, we've seen this, and this is in, in unprecedented terms that our our government has fabricated money out of thin air and distributed without. This corresponding increase in goods and services, and, and that's that's why, and and it's filtering through the economy. It it it'll uh, it doesn't happen all at once, but we're starting to see it. We're we're just kind of in the the first phase of it, yep. and uh, you know I think the the problem is that this has already been done. The damage has already been done. It's just a matter of it it playing out now, and we'll we'll see it. It'll take a while, and and uh, you know when when we reach a peak, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but uh, you know we're we're going to see, I think, much more inflation mm-hmm. before it, it stops. <laughs> Yeah, and, that, pops. That, and that's why we did put a hedge in our portfolio just in case. I know that, like, for instance, gold yesterday did did pull back. But I think longer term, we do have to be concerned and be prepared for it. Kelly, earlier in this show, I, I, I talked about uh, how the uh, population growth uh, last year because of the um, uh, pandemic was only like 0.35 percent the U.S. But uh, what are the implications for San Diego and California's with their latest population trends? Yeah, the, uh, I, I follow a little more closely the, the local San Diego economy and then try to keep up with the state and, of course, the nation. Um, but last year, California had the first decline in total population ever in the history of California since it was uh, organized or established as a state. And the first time and, ever? Uh, really? Like wow. First time ever in, in its history. And San Diego actually had a, I think, back in the... Uh, Post-World uh, War II, back in the 40s, there was a, a slight decline at one point. But uh, we also declined about a half a percent, uh, which uh, is uh, you know, very unusual for San Diego. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cause of that, of course, uh, 
Well, we, we've been seeing there, there are several trends. The, the natural rate has been declining. People are just not having as many babies as they used to. And so our natural increase, which is births minus deaths, has been slowing. Uh, it's still positive, but it's been slowing a lot. And, and then the other component is migration, which is international and domestic. And, of course, last year, in 2020, international migration slowed a lot. And because uh, uh, because of the pandemic and, and the restrictions on on travel and, and people moving here, part of the equation, of course, is that the state of California Department of Finance that does the population estimates, they they try to make an estimate of, of undocumented uh, n- numbers population. Mm-hmm. So, but that's it's an under underground number. Of course, they're not really counting those. They count the ones that cross the border legally, but the ones that are not crossing, well, that they can only make estimates so it's a little uh suspect but uh anyway that that number international migration is slowed a lot it was still positive but the biggest of course cause of our negative uh, population is domestic migration more people moved away from san diego than moved to san diego and so that uh, that actually is a trend that has been ongoing for a while uh last year it sort of accelerated it 2020 and I, I think will continue and, and the biggest cause of that um, is is the cost of living mm-hmm. and particularly housing prices uh, you know it's just we're one of the least affordable places to live in, a, in America uh, as is California there's uh, when you look at the list of the least affordable housing markets California accounts for for uh, 18 out of the 20 most least affordable housing. Markets and, in the nation. And, and Kelly, I mean, one thing that worries me is that I, and I, I don't think there's any numbers on it, but I do believe that people that are leaving California are your ones with uh, wealth, with a net worth that can buy these homes and so forth. One thing that worries me is that these homes that we have now, if the people that are leaving are the ones that can afford the homes and people staying are the ones that can't afford the homes, uh, I am concerned about perhaps a slowdown or maybe a decline in the price of houses down the road. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Do you see that, or do you see something different? Yeah, um, I, I see. Of course, uh, you know we have an aging population. That people are getting older. The ones that are in San Diego established, you know, they bought their house twenty, thirty years ago. They're, they're, you know, the value of their house has gone up significantly, and, and there must be some temptation to well, just sell out and move somewhere else. Uh, you know, that's the problem. You, you sell your your higher much higher priced house but then you're in the market if you're staying in california where it's also you know prices have now risen as well so it doesn't you know it's hard to transition to a, another house even though you're able to sell your house at a much higher price but i think uh, one of the if you look at the population trends in, in san diego you'll see that we we still have a, a high proportion of people in their 20 year olds and they can live here of course they can can combine with other like-minded people and as single people and, and, you know, combine their households and be able to pool their money and, and be able to afford to live there. But at the time that they pair off, get married and, and want to start having kids, there's just, they're in, entering a market that's just unaffordable. And, and so those are, are the ones that are, I think those are kind of the, not the entry level or the, you know, recent college graduates, but maybe 10 years after graduating when they want to sell a house or want to buy a house, and they just look at the market and, and can't afford it. 
and those those people are leaving and that's a big concern because those are the of course the future those are the people that you want to are going to become the you know the the leaders managers the like the the core employees of of companies and and right at the time when they're really becoming most productive and and unfortunately they're picking up and, and leaving and going to places where they they can't afford and, and, and Kelly, one thing I've kind of seen in, as well, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you have the data to kind of meta this or not, but it appears to be a lot of people that are buying houses in, mm-hmm. in San Diego and even like Sacramento, other places, are people that are selling out of uh, San Francisco, the, the Bay Area, for very high prices. They have a lot of money. They're coming down to San Diego and other places around California to use their money to buy these houses. That's Another reason I see housing prices going up, but I'm wondering when will that trend stop? Do you see a trend on that, or, or you're not seeing that trend? I, I, yeah, you're you're right on there. That the uh, and of course with the the shutdown and businesses learned that you know people can work from remotely. Uh, certain types of jobs can be done remotely, and uh, that happened. I have a cousin who's uh, has a son that works for Google, and of course in the pandemic they don't come into the office. He was living in the, the Bay Area, could barely afford to rent a house at, at outrageous prices. And uh, so, but anyway, in the shutdown, he can work remotely. Well, he went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, he's able to work rem- remotely. The cost of living is, is like, you know, so much less. The price of housing is so much less. Well, I think that trend continues. Um, we, we see that, uh, like you just mentioned, San Francisco and L.A., that we're seeing they're even more expensive than San Diego. And so San Diego in comparison looks like a bargain. And, and of course, San Diego has all the, you know, the nice amenities, all the things that we love about San Diego and the weather. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're seeing that. I, I think that trend will continue. That's sort of softened a bit our, our population. We, we, uh, our, our population lost, we lost about 0.5%, but in LA, they lost 0.9%, uh, and California lost more about that that amount as well. So, and, and, yeah, and Kelly, ago, I, I, guess I don't know if you had a, a little a, bit. an answer to this question or not, but I was just thinking too, as we're talking, okay, these people leave in the Bay Area with all this money to come down to San Diego and, and, and other places for less expensive housing. I wonder who's buying those expensive houses up in the Bay Area. Do you, you know who's buying those houses? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know where they're coming from, so that's kind of strange. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's talk about the the employment situation a little bit here because uh, you know employment is very important. And I'm kind of curious on what employment sectors were most impacted by the pandemic shutdown, and, and which sectors uh, are recovering, and which continue to have the lasting effects. I mean, what what do you see on the employment side here? And again, you talk about more people leaving California. Uh, what's going to happen to our job market here? Uh, especially if businesses are leaving as well. Yeah, the uh, well, in in the, uh, the the shutdown, you know, we, we saw, and this is un, of course unprecedented. We we've never seen anything like that as far as we got records going back into the early uh, 1900s. Um, that uh, we we lost such a, a broad number of jobs. We we lost uh, in in San Diego 16 percent of the jobs. Now, you know, a lot of people were. Not, I guess you'd call it furloughed or, or temporarily displaced, but these are real job losses. They, they, uh, you know, they were able to, they, they went unemployed. They got put on unemployment. That's how they count job losses. And so we lost uh, something like two hundred fifty thousand 
jobs. And uh, since that time, um, of course, but we hit the low, and, and it's been now a year and, and a few months. Uh, the low was March of 2020. We've added back 140,000 jobs, so we're still less than what we were by 90,000 jobs. And, and uh, that's out of uh, our total uh, job market of, of 1.4 million jobs in San Diego. So we haven't uh, we haven't recovered. Uh, we we quickly recovered a lot of those jobs, and they're able to go back to work. They got rehired, but now we're seeing. You know, of course, you see it everywhere you go. The signs in the window, uh, help wanted. Well, that's mostly where, where the biggest job losses have occurred were in in customer retail type jobs, uh, restaurants, uh, hotels. Uh, those were the sectors that lost the most jobs. We, we did see some job losses across the board, but those quickly recovered once we sort of eased up on the, the restriction. And uh, it, it's amazing to follow. In San Diego, we have a, a big tech industry, which accounts for a, a, a good portion of our economy. And the tech sectors have, have recovered quite well for the most part. Uh, biotech, um, the computers, and, and uh, those companies have, have come back quite strong. And uh, we're actually in engineering jobs in San Diego where we kind of barely had a blip and then we've recovered and, and more. We're at record levels right now um, for for a number of engineering jobs. And uh, some other tech jobs are, you know, doing just really well. I, I, I noted was a little bit of concern that you know, the defense industry is, is a big part of our economy. It remains a big part of it. And uh, aerospace has not recovered uh, Yet, and I think uh, that's, of course, that's driven by the federal government how much they're spending on defense, and there's been kind of a cutback there, and that always affects San Diego uh, shipbuilding and, and aerospace and, and some other tech areas. But uh, on the most part, the tech jobs, which are higher paid jobs, uh, on average they pay twice the me- median wage. Those jobs have done fairly well. The, the ones that are not recovering are, and this is probably obvious or to be expected, are, are the lower wage jobs that are service sector, kind of the retail customer facing. And uh, those are you know, closer to a lower wage or more closer to the minimum wage type jobs. Those are the ones that are not recovering. And, 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 and Kelly, do you, you, do you, know, think, that, do you that, think do you think that's from? And again, I think it's twenty two, twenty four states across the country now drop the federal uh, extra employment numbers here in California. We still have that. Do you think those lower wage jobs that's part of the reason? And and then I'll let you go here because I know I don't want to take up your whole Saturday morning. But do you think that's happening or, or what? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I mean you can't you can hardly blame someone. You know you're making more from unemployment benefits, both the, the federal and state of California has been very generous and that's been extended now into September. Um, yeah, those, those jobs, you know, you, you're making more unemployed uh, on unemployment compensation than you would be to an entry level type job. But, you know, unless, and that's why we're seeing employers are sort of competing with the, the government to, and, and Kelly, I, I don't know about you, but when I go out to restaurants now, we went to a restaurant uh, just uh, two nights ago, and I noticed a lot of the waitresses were very young. Uh, and I think that's because they can hire somebody that's 16 or 17 because they can't collect the free, we'll call them the unemployment ex- benefits. And so I have noticed a, so if you're a teenager, I think now is a great time to get a job because 
they can make money. I see employers hiring them and actually, actually talking to one business and they said, yeah, I mean, we couldn't get cooks. We, we, we get cooks that are 16, 17 years old. We train them to cook because they want to work because they don't get the free money. That's a, that's a very good observation. I, and I think that's right. And, and I would recommend to anybody that's kind of like, if you're hesitating, well, you know, to take on uh, those jobs, that you'd better do it now because later come September, uh, the market's going to change and, and uh, you'll have a lot more competition as, as a, a worker that's just trying to get started. So, and, and, I yeah, think that's it, a, and I think if I was one of those people right. that has been collecting that extra unemployment now, I think now I'd be looking for a job because I think you're right. If you wait till September and you try to do it, there could be a flood of people and all of a sudden like, oh, I can't get a job now because now there's a big flood in the market. So if you're smart, maybe now is when you start getting that job. Don't wait till mid-September uh, with no benefits there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Kelly, thank you very much for taking time out this morning on a Saturday. We, we appreciate your expertise as an economist. Uh, Give us information about uh, what you're seeing. Also, too, here in California and San Diego. Uh, appreciate taking the time. So don't be a stranger. Thank you for uh, joining the show today. Well, thank you. I, I often get asked when I tell people I'm an economist that they, they start asking me for financial advice. And I say, no, you need to talk to Britain Chase will see that's who they really need to get some information from. Well, we appreciate that very much, and a good time to you. Don't be a stranger. Already, all right. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Again, that is a Kelly Cunningham. He is the economist. We'll call him in San Diego. Um, he's been doing this for forty years, so I think he knows a thing or two about it. Had some great information on that. Uh, if you do have other questions for him, I did not ask him. He, he did give me his cell number, his email address. I did not ask him. I should have done it. I apologize. If you can ask him directly again, he does do uh, with the San Diego Union, uh, the eco economic eco economic meter, I guess is what it's called. That's a weekly business column. But um, yeah, if you have questions uh, for him, send them to me. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Send the questions to me. I'll forward them to Kelly uh, so we can get back to you on that. All right. Phone numbers here, 866-577. 2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, but an opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's go out to San Diego and talk to Kyle. Kyle, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. I had your show a couple months ago. Um, so I'm asking like one high-level question, and then if we could go into the stock, that'd be great. But sure. high-level... Um, I'm, I'm mid-30s, just doubled my income, um, started investing, and I listen to a lot of shows, and I'm trying to figure out like how to spread my portfolio at this age because it's like diving into it. It's like, hey, index funds are kind of the safety net that you always want to have. Blue chip stocks, okay. And then you can range everywhere from freaking you know, AMC to GameStop. So I'm trying to figure out what's a, a decent spread just given my age. I'm about to you know, propose my girlfriend in the next month or so, and just trying to look, okay, 30 years from now, how can I set myself up based on now and kind of spread my portfolio percentage-wise? And, and Kyle, that's a great question. And it's very difficult because uh, you're going to get a lot of different uh, perspectives. And I'll tell you, and one thing I want to ask people, when they give you their perspective, say, why? Why should I do that? And I'm going to tell you what I recommend for, for younger people. And you're going to hear people say, oh, you're young, be risking and afford to lose it. Well, I don't like that. And I'll tell you why, because once you lose it, you lose the benefit of long-term compounding. I mean, if you look at compounding, I mean, money can double, you know, every seven to 10 years, it's phenomenal. 
But if you lose it, you lost that benefit. So that's why I don't think people, you know, your age or even younger should say, oh, don't worry about it, but be risky. I think what you should be doing is, is buying good quality businesses in the portfolio. And I assume that uh, on your company 401k, you're maxing that out. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm in 10% and then they match 3%. So I've been stacking that up this year quite a bit, which is awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause that's very important to, to, to do that. And then I think you said your income doubled. So now you have the benefit of having other money to invest. And this is where you want to start saying, okay, let me start buying good quality businesses that I can ride the growth of them longer term. And again, I, I don't recommend the meme stocks because it's a gambling play. Um, a lot of these technology companies, I think, are too expensive. If you just get into good quality business and say, you know what? If I can average 8, 10, 12% on average per year over the long term, I mean, just do the numbers. You, you're going to have a lot of money down the road and you got to be patient. And that's one of the problems a lot of times people, they don't want to be patient. They just want to get, oh, I want to double my money, you know, next, next week or next year, <laughs> whatever it may be but you're younger, take advantage of the, the, the long-term compounding. You'll do very well and stay away I, from I appreciate the crazy it. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then that's where my head is at right now. And I do cringe when they're like, Oh, you're young. Don't worry about it. I'm like, no, nah, this is when I need to play. Yes. Um, exactly. And then se second question, there is like one kind of riskier, but, but biotech stock that I want to ask you about, it's called Evofem, uh, EVFM. Do we have time to, to take a look at that or no? Yeah. What was that symbol again? E, uh, Echo, Victor, Frank, Michael. All right, let's see what comes up on that. And what did you hear about that one? Um, you know, I just, I've looked at the company and I, I like their initiative. Um, they basically, you know, it's a um, non-hormonal uh, contraceptive and working towards like other things as well. Um, and that, that is FDA approved, but it's direct to consumer. So it's just a little different. It's dipped to a penny stock and it's just kind of a, it would be obviously a gamble just being in biotech in general, but I just wanted to get your take on it. Yeah. And, and, and again, that that's, you know, buying on the concept of what they have and so forth. And again, a penny stock, a lot of these don't make it out. I, I can I'll kind of look at some numbers here for, I don't see very much on, I think it's called Evofem Biosciences. Is that the correct. way you say it? Okay. Yeah, correct. yeah. I mean, cause I don't see a PE ratio for them. I do see sales growth uh, or what you pay for the sales is 78 versus 11. So you're paying a lot for the sales no book value, no cash flow, no dividend. Now, what's amazing here is I don't see any sales growth. Is this, is this a rather new company as well, uh, Kyle? Uh, somewhat. I think they're about last five five years or so. Okay. Well, there's, there's no sales growth on it. I do see earnings decline uh, of 22%. And many times these biotech companies, they, they are spending a lot of money to try to get out their product and they don't have any sales and doesn't not appear this company has any sales at this point in time. The big concern is what if they never have sales, you're going to lose all the money on this one. Uh, on the balance right. sheet, we see a current ratio of one versus 3.6, no debt to equity, uh, no return to equity. I don't believe they have any equity. Uh, I love this profit margin. It's a negative 10,916. So they're, they're definitely in the growth phase. And this is a type of company uh, that, that you could see, where it just explodes. And, and uh, let me put the symbol in. I, I want to look forward to this. It's EVFM. Uh, let me look at something going forward here for you. Um, because, yeah, I see the, the price is uh, 81 cents. Now, looking at their 52 week range, now they've been a low of 75, so they're closer to the lower because the 52 week high has been $5.53. Uh, I do want to take a look to see if there's any analysts. And if there are analysts, do they give it any earnings going forward? Uh, well, you do have four analysts that have followed this. And now the average estimate that they say this is going to 
actually lose. They have no earnings lose going forward. They think of the year ending December 2022 that the, the company's going to lose 96 cents per share. So it's really a big gamble here. If their product does hit the market and becomes very successful, you can see the stock go from, we'll say, 81 cents up to maybe 8 or $10 a share, like a huge return. More than likely, they're not going to make that. And this is a gamble where you, you, you might have a 1% chance of maybe something happening. So it's up to you if you want to do that. And sometimes, you know, we all like to kind of speculate and do some gambling. Just kind of keep it in control. And if you make it and you, you buy this for 81 cents and it goes up, you'll be very happy. But then if you lose it and you invested, I don't know, $1,000, you lost it, you're not going to be happy, but it's not going to devastate your portfolio. Alrighty. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, Kyle. Well, you have a good one and don't be a stranger there, okay? All right. Sounds good. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And gosh, I should have told Kyle about the workshop coming up on uh, Thursday, August 26th. That'd be very good for young investors that do want to learn more uh, about investing and how to do it right. So Kyle, if you're still listening, uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Look for the workshop. A lot of information there that would help you uh, understand more about investing. Alrighty, let's go to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hi, Brent. Uh, I'm just curious what the numbers look like for Chevron now, because it seems like some of the oil stocks have, you know, are kind of languishing, have not done much. Yeah, they they have kind of slowed down a little bit. And I, I saw, I think, a week or two ago that the uh, the, the supplies were down. Then uh, I think this current week, I think they were up. So, I mean, and this is normal for oil. It's going to go up and down, up and down. One thing we that we do know that the uh, production of oil with the pipeline, the shutdown of the pipeline, has been hurt, uh, so we are going to depend more on the Middle East, we'll say, for for more oil. But with a you know a, a, an energy company, I think there's still a lot of room there. But let, let's take a look to see if I'm right on that. And you said you hold Chevron, Jim? No, I don't. Think about buying them? Okay. Yes. Well, well let, let's see if there's a worth a buy uh, yet or not. Uh, coming again, a Chevron symbol is CVX. Uh, they do have a P/E ratio, which tells me over the last 12 months they have earnings. Uh, the P/E ratio is 54.7 versus not material for the industry. Price of sales 1.7. That's above the industry at 1.4. Price to book value 1.5 versus 0.8. And price of cash flow is 9.4, also above the industry at five. So the valuation ratios look a little bit pricey for uh, Chevron, with the exception of the P/E ratio. Now, you do get a 5.3% dividend, which is very attractive. Now, over the last 12 months, that uses 275% of the earnings to pay that out. Now, that's not sustainable, but we have to remember what happened over the last 12 months and will that happen going forward. So you want to make sure that they can afford that dividend because if not, they may have to cut it. We do say the sales year over year were up 1.3%. Industry was down 6.9%. Earnings per share did climb by 139% about double the industry at 60%. The balance sheet for Chevron, I'm very impressed. It's very good. you got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 0.8, and debt to equity is only 32 versus 50. So no concern on the debt or the balance sheet at this point in time. Return on equity is 2.7 versus negative 10.7. Net profit margin is 3.1 versus a negative 21. Receivable turnover is 9.6 versus 7.9. And then inventory turnover checks in at 11 versus 31. 
Let me take a look at the earnings going forward for Chevron. And and, and where did you hear about this, Jim? Or what, what were you thinking about? You know? Well, I was just I was looking at the internet yesterday, or some uh, actually Yahoo Finance, and uh, somehow uh, a, a guy was just talking about that uh, because of the inflationary pressures, it actually might benefit uh, some of these oil companies that are down right now. It's a good yeah. time to buy them. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I see it did close at one hundred one dollars and ninety five cents on Friday. The fifty two week high is one thirteen. The lowest sixty five. That would have been the time to buy it at sixty five. That's probably last March or April. Wow. Uh, we do see that uh, going forward here. Let me look at the analysts. See what they have on it here. Uh, we've got twenty seven analysts. Obviously, a, a lot of analysts. They give it uh, an average estimate uh, for the year ending December twenty twenty two of seven dollars eleven cents. If I put a multiple of 15 on that, that would give me about 105. You add about another, because uh, the 4P is 16.6. Um, you're probably like in a whole category here. I think the target sell price would be probably somewhere around 115 or so. Um, so if there's a pullback on it, I would buy it. Or if the earnings are recognized to go up uh, and the stock stays the same. I mean, we, we, we talk about this in our workshop. We want that margin of error of about 30% between the target buy price and target sell price. So um, it's not a buy this time. I put it as a hold, but I know what you mean. I would like to have another energy company in our portfolio. I would love to be Chevron, but I just can't justify the price at the current time. Alrighty? All right. Say if it was to go down around near 90 or so, it would be more. Yeah. Category. Yeah. If it went down around 90 or so and the earnings did not come down, that probably would, would give you about that 30% growth, uh, as we call the margin of error there. Already? Okay. Good enough. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That opens up the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Will. Will, you're in the Smart uh, Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, Brent. I love what you all do there. Well, thank you. I'd like to hear your analysis on Pacific Gas and Electric. I'm looking to buy. Now, that is the one. I always get this mixed up. That's the one in California that had all the problems with the fires and the lawsuits, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. That's the one. Beaten down hard. Beaten down hard. And, And I know we've kind of looked at this one. And it looked pretty good. I'm, I'm going to go over the numbers and share with you and, and kind of more what we did on it. We haven't done it yet, but I thought there could be an opportunity here. So let's take a look at the PG&E Corporation, symbol as PCG. Uh, a good start. The PE ratio is 22.4 versus 39.4. Price of sales, 0.9 versus 2.6. That's a positive. Price to book value. And this is what kind of got me excited. 0.79 versus 2.6, so you're paying 79 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of P&G Corporation. We do see the price of sales are 3.96 versus 37, so that's about one-tenth. I like seeing that. They do not currently pay a dividend. It's showing that no dividend paid here. Maybe that's what stopped me is that they're still not going to pay a dividend. Hopefully, they will pay one in the future. That's one of the benefits of utilities. You get a nice dividend, but I think they're trying to do the right things to get things uh, kind of caught up here. Uh, we do see that the sales quarter over quarter were up 15% versus 17 for the industry. Uh, year over year, sales did climb by 8.6% when the industry was up 5.4. Here's the positive news. The earnings uh, year over year climbed by 103%, well above the industry at 2.1%. This is what kind of stopped me. Now I, now I see why I said, ah, I better stay away from this one for now. The balance sheet. You got a current ratio of 0.66 versus 0.72. And this is so important. Keep in mind the current ratio tells you 
the capability of the company to pay off their next 12 months of liabilities with 12 months of assets. 0.66 is a, not a very strong number. I wish it was a little bit higher because what if they have another fire? That could be something that would really be devastating uh, to this company. Total debt to equity also is a big concern. It's 197 versus 140. We don't like things much above 120, maybe 125 if, if there's other good factors there. Return on equity is 6.4 versus 5.4. Net profit margin is positive, 4.2, but it's below the industry at 6.6. .6. And then we see receivable turnover looks good, 11.8 versus 7. And then inventory turnover checks in at 22.3 versus 4.4. Uh, let me go look at the numbers going forward on PG&E. Uh, again, the symbol is PCG. Uh, let's see what the analysts say about it going forward. First off, we do see that the stock did close at $8.53 on Friday. Uh, the 52-week range, a uh, high of 12.91, a low of 8.24. So we're getting down to that low level, which kind of gets me excited. But we got to make sure we got a, a a good business that has a good balance sheet, which I'm just not not quite seeing here. Uh, we got 16 analysts saying the year ending uh, December 2022, they're looking for earnings of a dollar 20, a dollar 12, uh, multiple of 15. That'd be about oh uh, 16.50, I think. So it would be good based on that. Um, you know, we, we've got a minute here because I don't have another call coming in. I, I want to look at the balance sheet for you here because this is the, the big factor. And this is why I think we did not look at PG&E because I like everything else I saw. I think it's going to be good. But the balance sheet just worried me that what if something happens, they could be forced into bankruptcy, which would hurt all the, in, the investors again. So real quick here, I just want to look at their their debt. Uh, the total debt, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shoot, and unfortunately, it's rising over the last year. A year ago, their debt was $37.6 billion. It's now at $42.5 billion. I don't like seeing that. I mean, I'd rather see that debt declining, not increasing. Uh, let me take a quick look at their equity. Now, their equity has done better. Their equity went from $3.5 billion a year ago to $21 billion. So, I mean, that's a positive, but I just can't get over that amount of debt. If they do have problems, things slow down. They may not be able to pay that debt. You can't pay that debt then it could force them into bankruptcy. So I, I like everything in this company. This is the hard part is that they can come out of this uh, a year or two from now, the stock could be trading at 16, $17 a share. Gee, you paid 18, you doubled your money and so forth. But the concern is the downside. And when, when I invest my money, my client's money, I'm more worried about losing money than making money because once you lose it, you, you can't have anything to work with. So you gotta be very careful here. And because that debt, I'm going to have to say stay away from PG, PG&E uh, as much as I want to buy it. I just can't buy it at that level. And, and Brent, I appreciate your uh, your philosophy. That's why I call. It's why I listen every week. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask if your analysis changes any when you factor in the government support of that utility up in Northern California. Because you mentioned what if something big happened? Something big did happen a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And Sacramento raced in to save them. And Sacramento is going to race in to save them again. They don't have competition and they can't let the Northern California go dark. So bankruptcy doesn't seem to be an option. It seems like the courts and the legislators poured in whatever support they needed after several big fires and they were found liable. Does your, does your analysis change any when you look at liability in that respect? It, it is something you want to be aware of and it can happen. And one thing that these companies can do, and even if the government steps in, they can reorganize the business. And this happens many times in bankruptcies. PG&E would still be around. They're just going to keep that running. 
but they will wipe out all the equity holders by reorganizing the company. They give the equity to the, the debt holders and so forth. So you want to be careful of reorganization on a company. And the other thing, too, sure. we know that there's a recall for the governor coming up. Uh, uh, what is it? Next month already, I guess. And what if that changes? Maybe we do get a different administration in there. Maybe they're not so generous and maybe they do reorganize the business. So um, it could change it. You'd be aware of it. But I still, and, and I got to be honest with you, I still don't want to count on the government for some things. And this is one thing I probably would be concerned on. So I, sure, I still sure. think I'd rather sit in cash and wait for something else to buy um, because there's just too many variables here that I just can't. And again, with the whole government thing coming in, would they do that again? Maybe. But what if they didn't? You know, I mean, didn't happen for Enron. I mean, Enron was a huge utility back uh, 20 years ago. The government didn't sure. help them. And, you know, they just divide the company and shareholders lost everything. So I'd still be very cautious. Very well. Yeah. Very well. Thank you again for your time today. I appreciate what you guys do every single week. Well, thank you. Well, appreciate you being there. Have a good one. Don't be a stranger. Thank you, too. Okay. You. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three, and all phone all phone lines are open. So give us a call. I do. So we had uh, Frederick from Facebook. Did he have a comment there, uh, Brendan? Uh, I'll load it up here shortly. Sorry. Okay. Oh, so we yeah. He actually gave us about, about forty five minutes ago. So, um, but one thing too, when you're investing, as you just heard me talk to Will, I mean, it's very hard because everything looks good, and and I tell people when you're when you're investing, this is why investors lose money. As they look at the good part, oh, I'm so excited about this. Oh, but this is good. This is good. And this is good. And they refuse to look at the negative side. In my opinion, the right way to invest is to look at what could go wrong. And if you think that could happen, then maybe stay away from it. And it means you won't buy as much, but it also means you won't lose as much. And I, I know that uh, over the past 20 years, I think it was JP Morgan had a, um, uh, a, a survey and they kind of did what the average investors earned over the last 20 years. It's only 2.5%, very low. Yeah, I know that. Uh, so Frederick, uh, if you were wondering, by the way, he said, uh, can you look at FireEye, F-E-Y-E is the ticker symbol. He said it was a good quarter report, but it fell by 17%. So he's kind of concerned about that at the same time. So uh, let's analyze FireEye. Okay. And, and, and one thing, too, that seems to be happening, we, we've seen it with a, a few of our companies as well, is that they report great earnings, great revenue, even sometimes give great guidance. I still believe there's a lot of younger investors and experienced investors out there that put money in. They don't know what they're really doing. They saw the stock price. Oh, they did good, and they just sell and, and get out. So uh, that could be having a fire eye. But let's take a, a look at them. Uh, the symbol, again, is F-E-Y-E. Unfortunately, no P-E ratio. I see these numbers as uh, of June 30th here. Uh, the industry P-E is 70. Uh, price to sales is 4.1 versus 12.9. That is good. Price to book value, not material for FireEye versus 97 for the industry. FireEye does not pay a dividend. Oh, and price to cash flow also not material versus 39 for the industry. Now, the sales not doing anything really phenomenal here. I mean, the sales growth year over year was up 6.5%. Not as good as the industry growth at 17. Earnings per share did grow by 31%. Industry was up 33%, but that's good growth on the earnings per share. Look at the balance sheet. We got a current ratio of 2.1 versus 1.9. Debt to equity, 87 for FireEye versus 71. I'm, I'm okay with that debt level there. 
What I don't like to see is return on equity is a negative 28 versus a positive 24 for the industry. Net profit margin, a negative 18.9 versus a positive 18.7. Receivable turnover, 7.7 versus 6.4. And inventory turnover, very good, 53.5 versus 19. Looking at the company going forward here. Oh, let me pull up the uh, earnings going forward for FireEye. We do see the stock did close at, uh, yeah, it was down uh, at $16.68 on Friday, down 341. That's a 17% decline. The 52-week range for the company is a high at 25.53, a low at 12.26. Uh, let's take a look at the analysts here to see what they have to say on earnings going forward. Going out to December 2022, 15 analysts, which is a pretty good number. They're looking for earnings of 46 cents a share. Uh, that would give you a target sell price somewhere around $758 a share. So this is what can happen with your high-flying companies like a FireEye. I mean, they're trading these high multiples with the expectation they're going to continue to just do phenomenally well. When they come in with a decent earnings growth, and they might even beat things, it's just not enough, and the profit ticket comes in. And this is why I don't like growth companies because now you're not sure. Well, now it's 1668. Uh, I said the high was what uh, 25. I think I said the high was. Well, is it a buy or could it fall further? I, I would have to say stay away from FireEye. And I, I know I believe it's a great product that they have and so forth. But I, I just don't like to buy companies because that are overpriced because of the factor that you could look at it. You know, a week from now it could be at 12 or it could recover, go back to 20, but I, I just can't justify a buy, buying FireEye at the current price with those earnings of only 46 cents uh, a share. All right, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go out to La Jolla and speak with Chris. Chris, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can I help you? Hi, Brent. I uh, haven't called you in a while, but uh, still enjoy your show. Uh, I, uh, mostly in cash, I'm mostly in cash now, uh, having had some, uh, I sold some real good gains. And now I'm inclined to be cautious of the market uh, because uh, I heard uh, I saw a report on the internet yesterday that the Federal Reserve is uh, not going to be thinking about raising interest rates until 2022. Mm-hmm. And at first I said, "Oh wow, you know that's good, 2022." Then I thought to myself, "2022, that's right around the corner. This <laughs> is sounds, already August." Yeah, I know so, it's not as far as we think, is it? <laughs> that's right, not not that far away. So I'm a little bit cautious. Uh, uh, I'm hesitant to get in too deeply into stocks right now, but I do have some positions and I have AT&T for the dividend and I'm, I'm kind of trying to, you know, look at, look for some dividend paying stocks. So my one other choice would be BP, British Petroleum. I don't know if they, I think they're going to change their name to incorporate a green energy uh, strategy. Uh, and they are not just a legacy oil company. They're planning to embrace uh, solar wind power and many other, you know, several other mm-hmm. things like that. So, uh, they are trying to, you know, jump on the bandwagon for uh, for other forms of energy. Uh, and I just want to see if you thought it was a good energy play, I mean, a dividend play. Okay. And, and they are a uh, 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 United Kingdom-based uh, company, so I, true, yes. I, I, I can't compare the industry average. But we'll still look at the numbers here on BP, uh, PLC. Uh, there is a good start because the P-E ratio is 10. I see the price of sales, 0.6. That's good. Price to book value, not bad at 1.44. And price of cash flow, you're only paying 3.7 times for the cash flow. Now, they do pay a 4.8% dividend. They only use 24.5% of the earnings to pay that out. Sales year over year are down 26%, but the earnings are up 139%, so that's a positive. The balance sheet, you do see a current ratio of one2 uh, we do see that the debt to equity is 98, so I'm not concerned on the debt there. 
Return on equity is 11.8. Net profit margin, 6.7. And the receivable turnover is 7, and the inventory is 6.1. Let me go forward, look at the earnings going forward. And how, how did you come up with a BP as a buy there, Chris? Well, I've, I've owned it and sold it various times, and I've been tracking it for years. And uh, uh, I've been, you know, keeping up with it and studying it and analyzing it myself. And it appears to me to be a, uh, uh, at this point in time, at this juncture, it appears to me to be a, uh, a decent dividend stock to buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, we do, we do see on Friday closed at $25.56. The 52-week high is $28.49. So getting close to that uh, 52-week high. The low has been fourteen seventy four. Uh, again, the dividend yield is 5.1. Let's take a look at the uh, analysts here to see what they have to say about it. Going out to December 2022, we see there's 12 analysts. The mean estimate is $3.12. Now, there is one problem here, though, Chris, um, and that is that when you look at the low estimates, $1.90, and the high is $4.46. And what this tells me is that the analysts are not really sure what it's going to earn. I like to see a closer number. Uh, when you have a range of $1.90 to $4.46, that means that the low could be too low or the high could be too high. So it doesn't give me a good comfort feeling. I mean, if we put a multiple of 15 on that, though, we will get a stock price of, uh, what, about 45 I believe. So that looks pretty good. Uh, one question, too. I mean, we, we talked about Chevron earlier. Have you looked at Chevron versus BP or you just kind of like BP a lot? Chevron and uh, Exxon and the other ones, and I don't, I don't particularly like them. I think BP is probably the uh, the choice to make, in my opinion. I mean, you know, I'm just calling to see if you confirm that. I, I mean, the numbers on BP do look pretty good. I, I just don't like it because it's a foreign company. Uh, you got the currency fluctuation in there. Uh, I, I would just rather be with a U.S. company. Uh, Chevron, and, and I'm not promoting Chevron because we had somebody calling about Chevron earlier, and it was not a buy; yeah. it was a hold. But it was a son on Chevron you saw that you didn't like that we're not seeing or what? Yeah, I, I, it's too expensive. It's the uh, valuation ratios are too high. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't. You know, I think you're right because I said I wouldn't buy it right now because I think it was around. Uh, we didn't have enough of a target sell price, so you could be right on that. Um, so yeah, uh, that that could be the be the answer there. Well, good. Yeah. Any other okay, questions, well, Chris? Uh, I'm certainly gonna stay. I'm certainly not going to plunge into Enron, but <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a wise so, move. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, thank you so much, Brent. You're always uh, very kind and uh, accommodating to all your callers. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for calling, Chris. We, we appreciate you being there. Bye bye. Uh, take, take care. Bye bye. All right. Okay, that does it. Open the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven. 2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Douglas. Douglas, you're on the Smart Vessel Brent Chase. I'm going to help you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm calling about a stock called the Trade Desk, TTD. Oh, yeah. The Trade Desk. They help companies using artificial intelligence place ads. And uh, since Google had such a great uh, quarter with their ads, I was thinking that maybe uh, Trade Desk would as a read-through, would be good also. Okay. Well, let's see what we got on Trade Desk. Coming week. Their symbol is TTD. Now, for some reason, I put it in there, and all of a sudden, it just kind of froze on me here. So that's not good. Uh, Let me try it again here. Uh, There it is, Trade Desk. Um, And and, where would you see this, uh, Douglas? What did you see about Trade Desk uh, that you thought could be? Uh, uh, They help companies... Um, place ads using artificial intelligence so everybody that they help does well. Okay. And since Google did really well, 
this last quarter with their ads. I was thinking as a read-through that Trade Desk might do good, do well also. Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, Trade Desk Incorporated, symbol is TTD. Not a great start here, Douglas. A P.E. ratio 173 versus 70. Price of sales also expensive, 45 versus 12.9. Price of book value checks in at 36.9 versus 97, so that is a positive but still pretty expensive price of book value. And then price of cash flow, 146 versus 39. The company does not pay a dividend. Their sales year over year are up 28% above the industry growth at 17. Earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months grew by 91%, industry up 33 Look at the balance sheet. Got a current ratio of 1.7 versus 1.9. That's good. Debt to equity, zero versus 71. So nice to see the company has no debt on their balance sheet. Okay. Return on equity is 27 versus 24. Net profit margin, very good. 27 versus 18.7. And receivable turnover, 0.8 versus 6.4. And then we do see that they have no inventory turnover, just not what the company kind of does. Looking at where the stock closed on Friday, we see it closed at $84.04 on Friday. It was up like $0.66. Cents. The 52-week high for the stock is $97.28. The low is $40.85, so about a double from off the low. Let's take a look at the analyst, see what they have to say about the company. And you said they just reported earnings. Did you say that? Uh... They're going to report, I think, on Monday morning. Okay. Uh, you bring up an interesting point. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute about reporting, buying a company before or after reporting. We got 14 analysts saying for the year ending, uh, December 2022, looking for a mean estimate of 73 cents. Uh, that gives a target sell price of about, uh, what, uh, seven, about $14, $15 a share, we'll call it. Uh, obviously, well, well below the $84 a share. So it's one of these kind of like a hype companies, I would say. I, I wouldn't want to be playing in this this type of arena because it's one that could be at 84 today, drop you know, 10 15% tomorrow. Uh, they've got a good business model. But us as in value investors, we just don't want to play in that high-risk area. And I said I'd comment, too, about uh, the earnings coming out on Monday. We don't like to judge a company based on the earnings coming out because it's a very difficult situation because you have to realize that, okay, they could report good earnings and the stock will go up, right. or they have bad earnings, the stock will fall. It's very difficult. So we try not too much to uh, judge based on buying before earnings come out, but uh, sometimes you have to kind of wait and see what happens. So. Already, thank you. I I had fifteen shares only because it was expensive, but it mm -hmm. split ten for one. Mm -hmm. So now, so now I have one hundred and sixty-five shares. Yeah, it, it's a difficult one because the business is is uh, you know uh, a good business. I know what they do. I've seen it before, but you're just uh, paying so much. You're paying so much money right. for this good business that. Uh, See, my problem is I have way too many growth companies, so when the NASDAQ's down, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'd be careful of that because it appears to be that if interest rates are continuing going up, that's not, got, not good for your technology companies, your high flyers in the NASDAQ. Could be some bumps down the road for the uh, growth companies. I'd be very careful there. All right, okay. Douglas? Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, guys, just a few minutes left here. Let's go out to uh, San Diego and speak with Albert. Albert, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can I help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? What can I do for you? Doing well. I see I'm up against the clock, which is no problem. The, the, the company I'm looking at is Booz Allen Hamilton, B-A-H. Okay. I want to take a quick look at that. Uh, one of the reasons I got interest is my son works there. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
uh, it looks to me like a nice company. Uh, they're based on the uh, on the East Coast, but we uh, have in San Diego here. They're they're working on the ships and stuff here, so that's where my son is working. And Albert, I got to ask you real quick: What does this company do? Well, it's a it's a, a type of a cybersecurity company. Okay, they, they've got their fingers in a lot of different different things. Okay. Okay. Um, my, my son basically works uh, with the Navy contractors, and he's the one that parses out the money on the, sh- the new ships that are being built out here. So okay. they got a lot of different entities, but cybersecurity seems to be one of their up-and-coming. Yep. Okay, and, and that's a very uh, important industry right now. So let's take a look at the Booz Allen Hamilton Holding Corporation, symbol BAH. A good start here, P-E ratio 19.9 versus 55. Price of sales looks good, 1.4 versus 4. Uh, price of tangible book value, not material, same as the industry. Price of cash flow, 16.7 versus 21. They do pay a dividend at 1.8%, only use 33% earnings to pay that out. That looks good. Uh, sales are up 3.9% year over year, not as good as the industry, up 96 However, earnings are up 174 and the industry was down 35%. Unfortunately, the balance sheet kind of destroys everything for me here. You got a current ratio of 1.8 versus 1.4. That is good, but what I don't like seeing is debt to equity 278 versus 97. So it appears to be a lot of debt on the balance sheet compared to the equity. Could be low equity because the return on equity is very high, 59.6 versus 7.8. Net profit margin, 7.2 versus 7.4. We see what's wrong 4.9 versus 3.1. Let me look at the earnings going forward here, see what you have on those. See what the stock closed at here. Uh, closed on Friday at $81.78, the 52-week high, 126. The low is 74.32. Uh, the analysts, they say here, we've got um, 13 analysts are looking for earnings of $4.59 for the year ending December. Well, and this could be a uh, fiscal year, but it shows uh, 2023 of $4.59. Give you a target sell price of around Oh, $70 a share, between 70 and 80. So it looks like it's pretty much fully valued at this level. So I'd have to say not buying it, but you could probably hold it. But if it goes up, probably I would have to sell out of it. All righty. Got you. Very, thank you very much. And uh, I'll call you next week here. I got another one in mind, but uh, you guys have a good rest of your weekend and I'll talk to you next week. You too, Albert. Have a great weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, that's just, I'm getting the 10 count here. So we got about 10 seconds left here. So not much more I can say on what we did today. Great show today. Uh, lack of callers today. I don't know everybody's sleeping in, I guess, today or something. But uh, we'll be back next week. Talk about uh, more on investing here to answer your questions. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 858- 546-4306, that's 858-546-4306, or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com, that's smartinvesting2000.com, and for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters Refinitiv, closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, performed by local entertainer, Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Tune in next week to the Smart Investing Show. And again, visit our website for any questions, smartinvesting2000.com. Have a great weekend. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.